we've been talking about this idea of the fruit that we bear. And when we talk about the fruit that you bear, we've been looking at the passages that talk about what it means to be a fruit-bearing believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we started with the fruit of righteousness, looking in Philippians, then we went to the fruit of righteousness in Hebrews, and those had similar context, the idea that the life that we live produces righteousness. And in Philippians, it's talked about so that we understand that what we're doing is we're getting ready for the return of Christ. And in Hebrews, it talked about understanding that the trials that we're facing, God uses those things so that we bear the fruit of righteousness in our lives. So today, we're going to continue on reading what it means to be a fruit-bearing Christian, and we're going to discover the richness of what it means to bear the fruit of joy and peace. And I think this is important for us because if you look back at the last number of years, all of us have been affected by the, the outside influences of life that strip away the everyday pleasures of life. We all experience that. And what we might think incorrectly is that that's a one-time thing in our lives, right? That that was a, a one-time thing. But the truth of it is, life can strip away the everyday pleasures of your life anytime it wants to. You know, you, you can get sick today. You can lose a job today. You, you can have a kid go off the rails today. I mean, there's a lot of things that might cause you to feel like the everyday pleasures of life just aren't meaningful anymore. And when that happens... What I find in my life, and I think in some of your lives, are the first things to go are joy and peace. They're the first things that go, joy and peace. We, we begin to act like we don't have any control over these things, so we can't be happy about any of these things. And, and we begin to, to lose sight of the fact that as believers, when God changed our lives, what he did was allowed us to experience joy and peace as manifestations of the Holy Spirit living in our lives. So, so what I mean by that is that if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, bearing the fruit of the Spirit means that joy and peace should be part of your life. Now, if, if I was just to ask you, maybe I shouldn't ask you. Maybe I should ask your coworkers. Maybe I should ask your friend group. Maybe I should ask your spouse. Are you the kind of person that exhibits joy and peace in your life. Uh, this has been a journey for me over the last uh, maybe year or so. In my prayer journal, I've just been praying regularly that the joy of the Lord would be found in my life. Because I think I felt victim to kind of this thinking that, you know, life is hard, it's a little bit difficult during this season, and there's not much to be excited about, so you can't be joyful or you can't find peace because there are things trying to rob you of those things and nothing could be further from the truth. And we'll see that from the scripture today, that these are evidences of the Holy Spirit working in my life. So when they're not there, it has nothing to do with outside experiences, it has everything to do with an internal experience. Don't miss what I just said. If they're not there in your life, it literally has nothing to do with external experiences it has everything to do with internal experience with the Holy Spirit. So we want to look at this today from Galatians chapter 5. Let's read verse 19 through 26. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll just read this again and again because otherwise I would just be saying the words joy and peace and that just doesn't feel like it's enough, does it? Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, 
outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and every similar or anything similar. I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. We talked last week about how the works of the flesh are obvious and they're contrasted with the work of the Spirit in our lives that bears the fruit of the Spirit. When you think about these things as they're listed here, I mentioned that they're listed in triplet form and we're gonna look at only two today and in the, pre, I mean, the following weeks we'll look at them kind of in threes as we go forward because we do wanna finish these passages of scripture as we get into the Advent season. I don't wanna leave this as a, a cliffhanger into January. You know, I do, wanna, I do want us to finish this kind of one thought because I think it does prepare us for what God wants to do in the new year. You're going to be hearing, I think, a lot about the word joy in the new year because I think it's something that our church desperately needs to recapture. It desperately needs to recapture it. We need to recapture it in our worship. We need to, to kind of get rid of the idea that we're the frozen chosen, you know? God chose us in him before the foundation of the world, so that allows us the opportunity to sing like this. Jesus loves me. The, I mean, really? Is that what you got? Is that you bringing the sacrifice of praise to the Lord? Is that the joy? Shouldn't joy be in our fellowship? Shouldn't we be around believers and find the joy of the Lord in those kinds of things so that our life group should be filled with joy? Shouldn't we find joy in the service of the Lord? Shouldn't we find joy in, in, in making certain that, that we're ministering to people and that, that ought to just bring joy to our lives? For the believer, this is important. So let's look at these two words today, joy and peace, because I actually think they're tied together, unlike maybe any of the other words that we're going to look at that are fruit of the Spirit. Uh, if we start with just joy, what's the difference between being happy and joyful? Because they are very similar, and when we say the word joy, we often think about being happy. I mean, we think that that should be an expression on our face, you know, let your face show. You know, if you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it, right? I mean, that's what we think, is that it, it comes out like this. And, and while it's similar, and they feel a little bit similar, the difference in happiness and joy is subtle because it actually differs with the object. It, it differs where the object of our attention is resting. And, and I want you to understand this morning, if you don't get anything else about joy and happiness and the differentiation between the two, understand the difference really lies in the object of where your attention is resting. When we talk about it, I want you to hear this definition that Robert Dean gives. Joy is the state of delight and well-being that comes from knowing and serving God because joy is focused on God. Uh-oh, now we know why we're not joyful. We just got it. Should I continue or do we need to just say amen and go to lunch? Right, I mean, that's it, isn't it? I mean, did it just hit you between the eyes like it does me when I read that? The reason I might not be joyful today 
is because I'm not focused on knowing and serving God. The object is not God. So I might be happy in all manner of things, right? I might be happy right now that um, my football team seems to be doing good. I might be happy that my children are doing well. I might be happy in my job. I might be happy that I have a vacation planned and it's coming up and I might be happy because we're about to enter into the holiday season. You know, it's, it's about time for Christmas cookies and eggnog and, and hot cocoa and all those things. That might make me very happy. The problem with that is, is that those objects oftentimes have a surprising ability to let you down a little bit. Case in point, if you've ever had the experience of going to an amusement park, there's always the family dragging their kids around that are screaming and crying, going, you're gonna have fun. I paid a lot of money for that, right? I mean, right, right, it's that kind of thing. I don't wanna ride the rides, you know? I mean, it can let itself down. The experience in and of itself can, cannot meet our expectations. It can change. You could plan a vacation and, and get sick while you're on there and not get to enjoy it, right? Spend all your time in, in the room. You, you could try to make your job the fulfilling piece of your life, but what happens when the economy downturns or what happens when they downsize at your job or, or what happens when you don't meet the sales quota? I mean, all of a sudden, things that are outside of your control start to diminish your ability to be happy. But when I'm focused on God, it allows me then to have an immovable, unchanging object of my affection. It changes things. It takes me from the temporal to the eternal, right? I mean, it changes that kind of thing. When we talk about the word joy, it's similar to the word rejoice. And if you look through the scripture, it's literally in there hundreds of times. Rejoice, be joyful. I mean, these are things that are commanded to us. And so as we think about it, I want you to see what I think is maybe some of the greatest joy stealers in your life. And if you're taking notes this morning, we're gonna blitz through a few passages of scripture that might be hard to turn to. They'll be on the screen. But if you can't get to them, you might wanna just write these down because the next time you're a little upside down in your joy, these might explain why. You can use them perhaps as a self-diagnostic tool. But, but the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses one through five, says some things that are very important. It says, but know this, hard times will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, Boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding on to a form of godliness, but denying its power. When the Apostle Paul wrote this passage of scripture, I mean, I just want you to be kind of fully understand this 2,000 years ago. It's almost like he was reading our mail. It's like you read this and it's like, did he look through the news in Nashville, Tennessee this week? Did he read the national news? Did he look at our social media platforms to understand when it talks about people being lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of of God, when he talks about them being lovers of self rather than lovers of God, 
When he talks about them being arrogant and boastful, I mean, it starts to sound a lot like what we see in Ecclesiastes chapter two, when Solomon talking about the idea of pleasure in our lives being unfulfilling, he says, I had it all, I did it all, I wanted it all. There was nothing my eyes saw that I couldn't have. I could do it all and I found out it was like chasing the wind. Think about what that illustration means. Have you chased the wind lately? The wind is something that you can harness its energy when it's blowing. So it could push a sailboat along, it could turn a wind turbine for energy. But you can't chase it and grasp it. You can try. And sometimes it's fun if you get those little spin up things in the fall where the leaves are doing like that. You know, you just kind of run out there and try to grab it. That's kind of fun. You can't chase the wind and have it do anything. It evades your grasp is what he's saying all the time. Now I want you to hear me when I say this. Pleasure is the worst mistress for joy. It doesn't work. And yet we find ourselves constantly seeking pleasure. We constantly seek money. We constantly seek to love ourselves and we wonder why we're not joyful. It's the object, it's wrong. Now, understand this. Did God say that pleasure was wrong? He did not. God's given us pleasure. You should enjoy pleasure. But to chase it as the chief thing in your life, to constantly be sorting that out, is like chasing the wind. You're never going to grasp it. You're never going to be able to do anything but harness it for a short time and be able, if you do it in the right context, to say, thank you, God. Thanks for making this. I'm not saying don't take a cruise. Take a cruise. And while you're on it, recharge your batteries. Go before the Lord day and night. Fix your eyes on him and, and thank him for the opportunity and look at his creation and praise God for it. Right? I mean, there's a difference. When the object is temporal, it always lets us down. When we look at what it means to be joyful from the standpoint of the believer, maybe it would be insightful for us to hear Jesus' words about joy. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus talked about joy from a heavenly perspective in some ways that we often don't think about joy. And I think if we grasp this this morning from the mouth of Jesus, it might change our perspective on joy as well. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus has sent his disciples out and they've come back to him and they're all kinds of excited because they're saying to him, I mean, this is incredible. The demons, like they had no authority over us. We were able to cast out demons. They were subject to us. And go ahead and put it back up. It's fine. I'm, I'm getting there. And, and Jesus says to them something that's it's just incredible. He says, look, I've given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, nothing at all will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I mean, this is an incredible statement that Jesus makes. Can you imagine coming back in from your mission trip and going, man, I stepped on a snake, it couldn't hurt me. That would be an amen for me. If you're wondering, not the snake handling kind of Baptists, right? 
Can't stand them. Scared of them. Would you be excited that the evil one couldn't have power over you? Wouldn't that have been awesome just to come back in from a mission trip and just be like high-fiving everybody? Man, it was great. We saw God do incredible things and it was so awesome because there was nothing that could touch us when we were out there. The enemy tried to throw a bunch of things at us and he couldn't do anything to us. There was nothing that could happen. We'd be like, yes, and then Jesus goes, big deal. That's nothing. You missed it. People were excited, Lord. This was awesome. And he goes, no, you don't even understand. Don't be excited about that, guys. Be excited that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Be excited that you've been saved and the joy of your salvation ought to change something inside of you. Now, he gives us a little bit of a heavenly perspective a few chapters over in Luke chapter 15 because Jesus gives us three parables when he's talking to the people and they're parables of lostness. There's the parable of the lost sheep. Do you remember what happens is a shepherd had 100 sheep. One goes missing, he leaves the 99 and he goes out to look for the one. And when he comes back, everybody throws this massive party that the one who was lost has been found, right? It's huge. Then he talks about a lady who lost a coin. She had 10, she lost one, she lights a lamp, she sweeps the whole house, she's looking for it. And when she finds it, she tells everybody like, I'm so happy that I found this, this is awesome. And then he tells the parable of the lost son. We call it the prodigal son. There was a man, he had two sons. One came to him before his time was up to die, the, 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 the father. This is what's out of sorts with it. He says, I know you're not dead, give me my inheritance. I want my share. And he goes and squanders that. And the Bible says that when he came back, the father ran to meet him, put a robe on him, put a ring on him, clothed him, threw a feast for him. And, and, and he said, this is, this is what it's like in heaven. There's more rejoicing over one who is found than the 99 who stay. More rejoicing in heaven. So, so if we want to understand joy, maybe we really didn't have to look any farther than what Jesus tells us about joy. Jesus tells us something. If you're lacking in joy, it could be because you've forgotten that your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, that, that's easy to do. You say, well, I know that I'm saved, pastor. I, I mean, I, I know that I'm saved. Right. When was the last time you rejoiced over it? When was the last time you just stopped? Because I think a lot of us have this idea like, God should be glad I'm on his team. God should be proud that I picked him. God should be excited about it. It's the exact opposite, isn't it? And, and I know that's hard for some of us. When I came to know the Lord, I was kind of about to move into adolescence right there. I was right at the end of my childhood. And so to be honest with you, there wasn't this concept that I had of how lost that I really was. I don't know that I fully grasped it, right? I don't know that I fully grasped. When, when, you, when you read the hymn writers say, my sin, oh, this glorious thought, it's, it's bliss, right? He's blotted it out, every bit of it. As a like, nine-year-old child, I was like, I'm glad I'm not going to hell. That's a good thing. That's wonderful. I wasn't thinking about the cost that it cost Jesus, I wasn't thinking about that God loved me so much he sent Jesus while I was lost. That's a reason to rejoice. And a lot of us have gotten so comfortable in our salvation. We've been saved so long. It's like, I mean, yes, I'm saved. I got it. Thank you, pastor. 
got that. But I'm saying, if you're not a joyful person, it might be that your object of your affection is wrong. Even for the disciples, they were doing spiritual things and the object of what made them excited was wrong. Why? Because one day you're going to be in heaven where all those things that they talked about won't be an issue anymore. But what will matter is that your name was written in the Lamb's book of life. So for us, how do we do that? How do we recapture the joy of our salvation? We'll talk about some joy killers in a minute to make sure that we're not doing some of those things, but how do we recapture the joy of our salvation? Maybe tonight before you go to bed and when you wake up in the morning, it would just take a moment for you to ruminate on the greatness of our God and what he has done in salvation to save us. And that would be enough to start joy being rekindled in your life. I think the second thing why we may not be excited is why we may not have joy is because we don't place a value on what Jesus placed a value on. He said the one who got saved was more important than anything. We don't believe that. We give lip service to it. But let something not go your way this week. And it won't matter that somebody got baptized in the second service. You'll be all tore up. Try it. Dare you. Why is that? Well, it's because we don't think about the lost world. We don't think about people who are dying and separated for all eternity from Christ. I mean, you understand what he's saying is that when your joy is complete is when you're seeing people saved and you're thanking God that you're saved. When that begins to take hold in your life, joy starts to overflow. Get around people who are, are new believers and you'll rediscover that joy in your life. Lead someone to Christ, you'll rediscover that joy in your life. You'll see it because that's what matters. That's the thing that Jesus is saying. If we wanna grasp joy this morning, it's not vacations, it's not whether we got a raise. Those things make us happy and they're all fine. But joy in the midst of circumstances that are difficult that really only comes when we grasp this from the scripture. You think about this. Acts chapter 16 describes a story of Paul sitting in a Philippian jail, shackled. He's been beaten. And it says that he and his compatriot are sitting there and, and they're singing songs and praying to the Lord. They're just going through this, this thing in their lives where they're, they're praising God for what he's doing. I want you to think about that. They're in jail. Their circumstances aren't great. What are they praising the Lord for? What are they excited about? What's God doing in their lives? It's the fact that they've been saved. It's the fact that they've been bought with a price. It's the fact that they understand that God is doing something, even in the midst of this, while it may be difficult, Right? They see what's happening, and because they see what's happening is bigger than their circumstances, it transcends their circumstances, they're singing, they're praising the Lord, they're shouting over the Lord. Their circumstances weren't dictating their joy. Joy was transcending circumstances. So what's a joy killer in our lives? Well, joy killers start with sin. When you read Psalm 51, as David is repenting, he asks the Lord to restore the bones that have been crushed by sin and restore the joy of salvation so that he may rejoice again. 
That's easy, right? When we sin, it's a joy killer. And so it's important for us to bear the fruit of righteousness because that continually leads us into the presence of, of the Lord and, and we're, we're, we're praising him for the joy of our salvation. And, and you know, when you sin and, and you're doing those kinds of things, you don't want to share the gospel with anybody. You don't want to think about you being saved. I mean, it just puts you in a different frame of reference. That's joy killer number one. Joy killer number two is the pursuit of the temporal. If you live your life to pursue the temporal, you'll never have joy. You might be happy from time to time, but you won't experience joy. Third thing that will absolutely kill it is that if you believe the next whatever is on the horizon is going to satisfy you. I remember years ago talking to a man who was describing some marital problems. We worked together and he was just really frustrated one day and he said, you know, my wife was never gonna be happy until we were engaged. Then she wasn't happy until we were married. And then she wasn't happy until we could get a job in a certain city. And then she wasn't happy with that job. And, and now she's saying she won't be happy until we get a house. And I mean, That's not ever gonna make you happy. It can't. won't work. The pursuit of whatever's next, as if that's going to satisfy you, it, it doesn't work. For our lives, it has to transcend that. So joy starts with a focus on the Lord and it goes on to our salvation and extending salvation to others. Well, what about peace? Let me give you a definition of peace from the Holman Dictionary. It just says it's not a negative or passive concept but it involves wholeness and completeness. The related verb could mean to repay or fulfill a vow, so it's rendered to completing or repairing a relationship. Now, why would that be important that we talk about repairing a relationship? Because if you want peace in your life, you are not going to find it by pursuing things like just getting into a different state of mind has to be a different state of relationship. What's broken in our lives is the relationship that we have with God the Father. The scripture says that we're all like sheep. We all go astray. So when we talk about parables of lostness, that's you, that's me, all of us. We've all turned away and done our own thing. So what the scripture says is the greatest thing that needs to be rectified in our lives is that the wrath of God must be satisfied and Jesus did that by dying on the cross for us. And that's how we have peace with God. Many of you in this room will remember the great track that Billy Graham wrote called Steps to Peace with God. It resonates with us, right? To think about it like that. To, to have peace with God means that our relationship is now complete. It has wholeness. There's no rottenness in it. There's not anything that is lacking in it. And so when we repair our relationship with the Lord, it, it follows then that we would find peace in our souls. So it's not a change of external conditions, again, but an internal change of our heart and our mind. And I think, once again, it would just be good for us to go to the scripture and read what Jesus says about peace because Jesus says something fascinating in John chapter 14 and verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. 
I did not give it to you as the world gives, so don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. Now, we, we talked about understanding what Jesus said about joy, but what he says about peace is just as important for us to grasp this morning because he's illuminating something for us. Jesus said, I'm giving you peace and it's not like the world. But when he said, I give you peace, there's something that he's doing that is a little bit different than maybe some of these other things that we would think about. When Jesus said, I'm giving you my peace, as a believer, that's an inherited trait. Did Jesus run around all tore up all the time? Was Jesus in a hurry to get everywhere he went? Was his hair on fire everywhere he was going? I mean, that's not how he acted at all, isn't it? Jesus, his friends told him, the one whom you love, Lazarus, is sick. And Jesus said, all right, we'll get there. We'll go see him. Never in a hurry. Always at peace. So when Jesus says, I give you my peace, that's an inherited trait that believers have. Jesus saying, I gave you something at birth and it, it's peace for our journey. It's much like a parent passes on inherited traits to their children. Eye color, or their height or their facial features or something. You know, you, you get these things and you see that they're part of the family. Well, Jesus is saying to us, I've given you something and I gave it to you not like the world gives it. Well, how does the world give it? Their peace is always temporary. It doesn't last. You beat it back for a moment and then all of a sudden the war comes back and you gotta fight it again. I mean, that's how it works. But Jesus says, when I give you peace, it comes and it stays. It lasts with you. Now, I don't want you to, to miss this either. Did, did you notice that, that Jesus in John chapter 14 says, my peace I give you, I don't give it to you as the world. And then do not miss this. Don't let your heart be troubled. Not a suggestion. Command. Don't let your heart be troubled. What's troubling your heart today? Is it something that's temporary? Is it an external condition that you cannot control, manipulate, or otherwise solve on your own? I had one of those this week. I had a, a, an, an external condition, just trying to pray through some things and, and, and I had no control over the outcome of any of these things. And we had a group of pastors meeting here on Wednesday, the, the Liberty Church Network. They're one of our, our global focus level one partnerships. And we have pastors from around the city that come together to pray for one another and fellowship with one another. And I was just sharing some of these things with, with the pastors and we began to pray, and, and that, that night previous and that morning, I'm telling you, I had been amped up. I, I had been at a very heightened state of awareness of this kind of issue and just could not get it off my mind, couldn't, and I just began sharing with them, and they began to say, oh, man, we're going to pray for you, Pastor Jeff, we're going to lift that up, and we began to pray for one another, an odd thing happens when you do that. Did it change the circumstance? Nope but it changed my heart. Why? Because I stopped trying to manipulate it. I stopped trying to, to fix it. I stopped trying to be the one who had to carry that burden. Jesus said, I gave you my peace. This is a temporary condition. It's external. 
Get to the internal part of it and live in the joy of your salvation and live at peace. Jesus is giving us something. This is also something that, that was found in the early church, this idea of peace. And, and, it, and the word also means that there's this condition of being safe and secure. Well, how can we be safe and secure? We can only do that in Christ, to know that, that he literally holds the world in his hands. He's not surprised by anything that we're facing. And so for us as believers, Jesus is saying, when you're with me, you're good. Rest in that. Trust that. Listen to what Acts chapter 9 verse 31 says. The church throughout all Judea and Samaria had peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. When it had peace, it meant that the, the church understood it was safe and secure. Now, they had a lot more threats against them than we do. They had a, a Roman government that was persecuting them. They were also being persecuted from people who had been their brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers who were Jews. I mean, they had a lot of things going on and it said the church was at peace. Condition, safety, and security. And, and the outworking of that was that the church began to grow. So I don't want you to miss this. Joy and peace, absolutely coupled together. And I don't think I've ever seen it like this, but when we, when we talk about it, I mean, it just, I know these things, but I hadn't seen it until this week. When you look in the scripture, joy and peace are found in two very familiar passages of scripture. Luke chapter two, as we enter into the Christmas season, says something that might be familiar to you. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields, keeping watch at night over their flock. The angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said, don't be afraid. Look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find him wrapped tightly in cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly a great multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God, they were saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people he favors. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Why would they rejoice? And why would there be peace? Because it was something that had been found only in Christ. It could only come, those things mixed together, in Christ. But what we find is, is another passage of scripture in Philippians where these two come together. When Paul's talking to a church in chapter four and he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I tell you, rejoice. Make your prayers and your supplications with thanksgiving to God. Don't be anxious for anything, but make these prayers and supplications to God with thanksgiving and the peace of God will guard your hearts in Christ. Joy and peace, joy and peace. For us as believers, joy comes when we recognize that we've been saved and we're part of doing the ministry of seeing other people come to salvation. There is no greater joy than this. Peace comes 
when we recognize that just like joy, it's the object of our attention that brings us back to soundness. If you're worried about your kids today, you won't be joyful, you won't find peace. If you're worried about your job today or you're worried about the economy or who's gonna be the president or who's gonna win the elections, you will not have joy and peace. In fact, you might actually pass as an unbeliever. There are a lot of people who talk about being saved who never exhibit these things. And it's not because I don't think that they're not saved. I think it's because the object of their attention is completely dominated by things that don't matter. Do you like sports? I love sports. I find them to be fascinating. I especially like it when my team is on a little bit of a roll and they are right now. I was very happy that I didn't have to shamefully walk in here with my son who's a Kentucky fan telling me how happy he was after the Vols won last night. I saw this clip after Tennessee beat Alabama of a grown man in the stands bawling his eyes out. Do you think that that's normal? I mean, he hasn't been in the weight room, you could tell. He didn't put on the helmet. He just showed up and waved a, a shaker, you know, sang Rocky Top, and at the end of the game, cried his eyes. I'm not, I'm not talking about a little bit. I'm talking about suck sobbing. <laughs> I mean, just like getting after it. Is that normal? I mean, I enjoyed the win too. Sometimes when you look at the ridiculousness of it, and, and maybe, I don't know, maybe his kid plays for the team and he's tired of them getting beat all the time or his son's the coach, I don't know. But do you think that you place value on things that shouldn't be as valuable as they are to you? In other words, you're assigning a higher value than should really be there. Because I'm just so guilty of that. I struggle with it. I struggle to understand that there are things that God brings in our life so that we may enjoy the pleasure that he brings to us and understand that, that pleasure is great in its context and we should thank God for it and praise him for it and enjoy those things and enjoy the, the fruit of our labors and, and be excited about those things. That, that's totally fine. But if you happened, and I, I know that none of you did this, but I mean, if you were that person in the stands, I mean, just bawling your eyes out. Can I ask you a question? Did you cry at the last baptism we had? Do you care? Did it move your heart at all? Or was it just, I gotta get to do my next thing. I need to, I got, I, right? I mean, do you see how, we assign a value and then we wonder, why am I not, why am I not happy? We mean joyful. Why am I not happy? Why, why, am, I, why am I not at peace? Why am I, I torn up all the time? Why, why? Because the object is wrong. Get the object right of your attention and your affection. Knowing and obeying, walking with the Lord brings joy and peace. And it starts with a relationship with him. Do you have one? 
Has there ever been a time in your life where you repented of your sins and asked God to forgive you of those sins and trusted Christ for salvation, put your faith in him, believing that he's the son of God who died for you and rose from the dead? Has that ever happened for you? Because if it hasn't, why not? Why not give your life to Christ today? Why not find full joy and full peace this morning? It's there, it's available. Maybe for us as believers, it's just a matter of going before the Lord and having a massive reset. To say, Lord, help me, help me enjoy what you give me. Help me to enjoy the experiences that I'll have, but keep me focused where I need to be. And that would start maybe tomorrow morning by getting up, reading the scripture, praying, thanking God, just meditating on what it means to be saved. When was the last time you did that? I know for me this week, this has been an eye-opening study in the scripture to think about what it means to be a joyful person, a peaceful person with the objects of my affection firmly in place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you during this moment to speak to us Lord, some of us are struggling this morning to find peace, and I believe it's because we've never been saved. There's never been a time in, in someone's life where they gave themselves fully to you. They might be religious. They may know all about you, but they've never been saved. God, would you move in their lives? Father, we pray that we would be a joyful people, and that that would start with the out. Uh, outpouring of joy, Lord, as we think about our own salvation and how you've loved us and saved us. And it would move us, Lord, into an outpouring of joy as we watch others coming into the family. God, I just believe for most of us in the room, something this morning is holding our attention. Maybe it's sin. Maybe it's the pursuit of something. Maybe it's the pursuit of pleasure, but it's it might be keeping us from experiencing the fullness of joy. God, would you help us to see that clearly? We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.